Welcome Point Break. My name is Matthew Kroll. And uh, it sounds like you had a pretty special and intimate relationship with that hammer and losing it was almost comparable to losing a loved one. I'm Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Thor Ragnarok. Rag. No rock. Yeah. Yeah. So that, there's yeah. ragtime music. No rock. I'm stealing that joke from Jeff Goldblum. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's ragtime. No know. rock. No, you I, got I watched that too. You got it. Uh, yes. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back, dear listeners, to uh, one of my. I mean, I love obviously doing these Marvel films. Shahir tends to dislike doing them. That's, uh, not, that's not true. I don't dislike doing them. I just dislike the movies. You just like watching the films. Uh, yeah, actually, that's funny. It's. I don't think I dislike watching the films. I feel like that they're. Less than the sum of their parts is is what I think I I have an issue with, and I think and t- an interesting topic that'll come up in our next week's review with the Florida Project, uh, a film by Sean Baker that we're excited to be reviewing. Yes, is that is that I think for me the problem is is that the Marvel movies as part of the Disney world. Uh, <laughs> I take, see what you did there. Yeah. Take up a, an enormous cultural space. And, and in the wake of that space, there's a shadow left behind that, uh, that often gets neglected. And I think that'll come up in the, uh, in our Florida project review, both literally and uh, metaphorically. Sure. 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 Uh, I, I don't you disagree. Think, uh, not from a cultural perspective, but from a from a business and a personable perspective. Yes, Disney. Uh, well, you'll see in next week's. I'm not from a cultural perspective because look, if something's good, it will reach if people if people pitch it hard enough. Like, but you don't think you don't think that Disney has the a bigger capacity to make its products reach you. Versus say, versus say the Florida project. Sure. But what I'm saying is if you, if you make good things yeah. and you have a, a savvy marketing behind you, yeah, money, money talks, but so does time and energy. But so like you can, I'm, I don't think because the Marvel cinematic universe exists, some small startup thing doesn't exist. I know. I, I didn't say that. I said, there's a bigger reach for uh, say a Marvel movie. Like it's impossible to, to walk around New York city right now without seeing a poster for Thor Ragnarok. Sure. How many people? People know about the Florida project. Right. But, but people that will enjoy the Florida project will also be able to seek out the Florida project. Like we found it. It's not, it's not, right. but, but people who might not know what the, what Thor Ragnarok are is would, would have. So would, what's, would, so would what's the harder. criticism that the successful thing that everyone enjoys I, I just don't puts know out why, a I shadow, don't, puts, puts too big of a why, shadow for, for something that, so people can't find other things. Is I, that I, the? My, my, my point is, is that, yeah, is that, that, that these things take up a larger cultural threshold in our commercial world. And, in its wake, smaller projects have have difficulty finding a foothold. Now, I don't think that that is necessarily the fault of the films. I'm just saying that we live in a world where we talk a lot about Marvel movies, sure, and we spend more time thinking about them. And I don't know necessarily if they're worth talking about that much versus uh, versus other things that that are doing interesting things. I believe they are worth talking about that much. Also, it's it just seems kind of silly to it's like there the, the art in in all of its forms is everywhere. You can find the big corporate style art or you yeah. can find the smaller and more intimate sort of drilled down to specific interests art and you you can find it. The internet is a wonderful place. Sometimes to find the most like special thing that is personal for you is actually a little bit of work. Yeah. So, and I think fi- the journey in finding some of those things, some musical artists I like, some films I like, etc., is the actual act of hunting for them. Now, I don't think it's anyone's fault uh, that something is harder to find than another. 
I think if you're looking for a certain thing, you might have to do some work to go find that. Thing. But you don't. But do you agree that there that that, for example, a film like Thor Ragnarok, a film by Disney, by Marvel, has a much bigger influence because of its marketing budget and its ability to push its product onto us than, say, the Florida Project? Sure. But what, who who cares if, okay. if I'm looking you for don't a think film- that influences any 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 capacity for us to talk about films? No, because because film critique is still the same no matter what film you're critiquing. Right. Uh, it it's it's basically uh, you are it's 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 the specialty shit that you're looking for. And now wh- whether or not anyone on their personal level thinks one thing should be mainstream and another thing should be specialty, that's neither here nor there, and that's also all personal. I just think that uh, in this particular case, so th- this is the opposite. This here's a fun thing. Uh, the MCU and the Marvel stuff is my wheelhouse. So right. I 100% don't mind that it's in yeah, the whole, in the public lexicon, very popularized. Yeah. Um, the thing, but th- the thing that uh, maybe I can relate to a little bit more of what you're saying is professional sports, the yeah. NFL, the NBA. These are things that are cultural touch points that I have no no foothold in whatsoever. Do I begrudge them for being so popular or do I ever blame them? Be like, maybe this isn't the best for society. Not really. Like, right. cause it's just, that's how it is. That's and, and that's a popular thing that people like. And, and I, it, to get that fix of things, which in my case would be esports, yeah. I now look, I have to hunt right. and find things and it's more work than just turning on my cable box. Okay. So I, I just don't, I don't think it's, it's not, there's nothing new or interesting. Maybe from a socio-ecological, like a sociology standpoint, there might be, but we're not a sociology podcast. Uh, but I, I think, I think, you know, like you're asking me if I, if I hate the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't. No, I, I was just, telling, I, I was telling you, you do, because you've told me you do. You hate the whole exercise of it. You hate the really? idea that I film. Know, I don't think did, I've ever, when, said, have, I, when have I ever said that? You've said you, you dislike this whole thing where it becomes serialized like television. You want a film to be a standalone film. I do. No, that is true. I yeah. do want a film to be a standalone film and I don't like like experiences where I feel like a movie is selling me another movie. I feel like that is, and I stand by that 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't hate the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In fact, I think the last two Marvel films we've done, which would be Civil War and Guardians of the Galaxy, I've been very favorable on. Uh, Very favorable, but you have said you've enjoyed them. It's just on, on, uh, if we're going on brand, uh, you have not been a proprietor of this particular exercise. No, I think, but I have been favorable to those films. I actually did enjoy those films and I think, uh, and I think they were good. Go back and listen to those two episodes and tell us how favorable we are uh, for them. But, but I think, I think, you know, like every year we we come to uh, say I do our top tens or anything, and none of those films sure. end up in my yeah, top. So 10. not that favorable. Well, n- not not top ten. Also, st- I enjoyed Star Trek, but it's not going to end up in my top ten. Sure, you know what I mean. It's not. It's 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 they're 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 consumables that I don't tend to think about. Right, a right, lot right. Of, uh, Post well, post their experience. If any of our listeners would like to tell us their top ten films so far, where exactly could they send those uh, lovely pieces of information to us? You could write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail You could go to our website www.onlymoviepodcast.com, or you could hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. To write us in your thoughts, feelings, emotions, uh, or yes, or, what, what was the last thing? I don't know. I don't know. I had no, I had no <laughs> or like thoughts, feelings, or emotions, or something else. Or you could send us like your um, fan uh, fiction. Yeah, your your erotic uh, Matt and Shahir fan. That'd fiction. That'd be good. Yeah. Uh, you could also, uh, you know what? This would be fun. iTunes reviews. Next iTunes review. Write an erotic fan fiction in Ooh. the iTunes review. Oh my god. Uh, and I'd prefer if that specific you think fan you're, fiction you're the top or I'm the, uh, would be. Uh, I feel <laughs> am like I the be, top or you're the bottom? Be very 
fluid. Okay. Um, it's, I we're think, rolling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a mess. Uh, <laughs> tentacles somewhere. Yeah. The, but yeah, leave us five stars in erotic fan fiction. Uh, <laughs> I would love <laughs> to see. That'd be so fucking weird. <laughs> we'd, have to, we'd have to read it out oh, like, we we'd as read like it. spoken word poetry yeah. kind of thing. We'd, uh, I'd get the most, I'd find the most famous person I know. I don't know who that would be to read it. Is it me? No, I, I don't me. think it's you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And we, we got we got a piece of e- uh, email here, obviously from Stephen Buja, who's our friend uh, on the Oscar <laughs> Watch podcast, who wrote preemptively knowing that we were doing a Marvel movie uh, that which would win out the uh, Shahir's love of Taika Waititi, the director, mm-hmm. or his dismissiveness of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I sent him back the Jordan Peele sweating at the keyboard meme <laughs> <laughs> as an appropriate response to that. Um, I... Uh, uh, obviously, I didn't watch any trailers. Didn't watch a single trailer for this Have film. Have you watched them since? No, I actually haven't watched them since. You because, should. Uh, Maybe after this, but whatever. They're good. They're yeah. good trailers. I think I might have seen, like, didn't they do, like, a first teaser? Yeah. Like, uh, with, with just Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song playing? Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I probably saw that. And, and I did that thing where I, like, I saw it, and, I, and then I realized that they were kind of giving away material, and I, and I sure. stopped watching, and sure. then I haven't seen a trailer since. So I just walked in cold to this movie. Not entirely cold, though, because it's impossible for me, a New Zealander graduate of Victoria University of Wellington, which is Taika Waititi's uh, alumni, mm-hmm. uh, to not know the existence of this movie. Sure. And to not be thinking about what this movie means. Um, not, I guess not as a cultural point, but just how... Interesting it is that a person who was a couple of years ahead of me in college in my in this tiny film school that I went to in New Zealand is now directing this huge Marvel movie. And the other thing that I, I was thinking about a little bit in respect to this film was how much so that uh, was it what 17 years ago, Peter Jackson directed Lord of the Rings. Yes. And at the time there was no film like that of its scale of that sort of fantasy. It was, it was a very unusual thing for that film to exist. And now it seems like those kinds of films are part of the repertoire of any up and coming director in Hollywood. You've got to do your one, like even uh, Darren Aronofsky, a film, you know, a filmmaker that we did yep, this year with yep. mother had his Noah, which is his big effects laden kind but of here's, thing. Here's the interesting thing about that. And, and, and maybe I'm in the minority in this, but, but the Lord of the Rings trilogy mm-hmm. in particular, and I and I I say this excluding The Hobbit as well. Okay, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is still something. There's still something to that that is above and beyond almost every huge live action battley like CG. I, I, com- fest. I completely agree with you. There's something, and and it's 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 because the the source material, and it's because the world, and it's because of the I guess almost the pacing and the way that that it's treated. There's a bunch of different things. You could dissect it a million different ways, but um, it also set the tone for everything we saw coming sure, after but it. But no one, I, I can't think of a, of a, on, on a purely, um, a bat, like watching a battle and having your jaw drop kind yeah, of thing and yeah. having, and having a large scale battle, uh, emotionally resonate that way. Mm-hmm. The only thing, and it's not the same because it's sort of tiny battles compartmentalized. I would say, uh, it, for wow factor is the Avengers for me. Okay. But, but it not, not in the same, not in the same like world building, like a, a, a thousands upon thousands of people coming together to have an actual war. Right. Many other movies have tried to do it. I mean, the Narnia movies, yeah. uh, 
Uh, it, it, you know, I would say Game of Thrones to me is is what, Game of Thrones is close. Is is I, I to me personally, I guess I'm not as invested in Lord of the Rings, but Game of Thrones to me, Game of Thrones yeah. feels more real yeah. in a weird way. These battles because I think a CG's come a long way. B uh, especially Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. The, oh, the only CG there was to, I mean, there's a ton of it, but yeah. to make it, to make it still look like real people are fighting, not like uh, 20 foot tall elephants. I think it like comes down to, but it comes Orokai. down to, yeah, it comes down to the thing you said though, which is that to me, the battle, um, the Battle of the Bastards is more emotionally resonant for me personally. I'm more invested. I'm not personally that invested in Lord of the Rings. Sure. But like the, <laughs> and, and I agree at yeah. this day and age, but yeah. even back in the day, because because Fellowship of the Ring happened when two towers hit and the battle for Helm's Deep mm. happened. Filmed like, right around the corner from my high school. That's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for th- six months. Battle of Helm's <laughs> Deep just feels like a war. Right. And and um, and I would argue, you know, we, we just did Dunkirk as well. Yeah. I mean, that feels like war. That feels like a real war. But but uh, Battle of Helm's Deep gave me the same sort of emotions of a real war, even though it's stupid orcs and nonsense. Like, so there's something to that. And, and look, I don't want to go too much into that, but there's a weight to the Lord of the Rings that I don't think mainstream action film from an emotional and from an every, from an all uh, encompassing standpoint has done since Lord of the Rings. I mean, sorry, uh, Game of Thrones is, is there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I was just sort of like, you know, like this kind of, thing it's amazing to me that 17 years on it, you know like peter jackson was the only person to kind of do that yeah. thing i mean not that there weren't big battle scenes before that obviously you know braveheart being her whatever uh spartacus anything you want to talk about but i think you know the the cgi fix laden battle sequence was kind of set by peter jackson and lord of the rings and now 17 years later it's it's kind of uh every director that's up and coming, you know, like it's, are they going to do a Marvel movie? Are they going to do some sort of superhero film? Sure. Are they going to do some kind of action effects kind of thing? So it was, it was curious to me, uh, that Taika, um, formerly Taika Cohen, I mean, he's still Taika Cohen is how he's known, <laughs> known in Wellington. Um, you know, this guy we saw, we, we, we all knew we moved in the same circles kind of thing is now jumping over to the Thor, uh, you know, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was, and, and obviously uh, I've seen, I've seen everything this guy has made. I've seen all of his commercials. I've seen, and, and it's, it's interesting because it's not, it's not even from a research point of view where I've gone back and looked at his work. I see, I've seen it happening in real time. So like, for example, um, I saw his short film, Two Cars One Night, a VHS copy that was passed to me um, before it was released at the film festival. I saw, you know, his other short film, Tama um, uh, at a screener that, uh, he'd had, um, I saw a boy in New Zealand, uh, sorry, I saw Eagle versus shark in New Zealand, uh, when he released it and it was like, Oh, the guy who got nominated for an Oscar has made his first, you know, short, uh, feature film, mm-hmm. uh, boy, as it became the number one grossing film in, you know, New Zealand's history, um, followed by, uh, what we do, uh, in the shadows Love it. becoming a huge, hit. that's, I saw where, I, that's yeah. where I jumped in. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw, I saw that in New York. And so it was kind of like, you know, and, and, and I, I went to a screening where he was there. I bumped into him. I said, hi, I'm from Wellington. You know, we kind of chit chatted for a second. Um, and, and then I, you know, and then oddly I flew back to New Zealand and I went to a screening of hunt for the wilder people as he was there as well. <laughs> I, and I, it's, it's weird that you stalk it. Yeah, I know. I felt, I, I, I didn't say hello to him at the hunt for the window people thing Cause I was like, Oh, it's so weird that I saw you in New York a few months ago and now I'm in New Zealand and like seeing you here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Hey, what are you doing after? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it's, it's been interesting because I've been watching this guy's work evolve over real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's made the leap to this. And I have to say, do you want to, do you want to read the synopsis for sure. Thor Ragnarok? Sure. <clears throat> 
Imprisoned, the mighty Thor finds himself in a lethal gladiatorial contest against the Hulk, his former ally. Thor must fight for survival and race against time to to prevent the all-powerful Hela from destroying his home and the Asgardian civilization. Asgardian civilization. That uh, is what the movie is. Ask. I, I feel like this movie would also make it ask, Asgard. Asgard. Well, that's Asgard. what they, that's yeah, what they were. Uh, there's I, I a think, joke in there. Yeah, I'm sure there's a joke in there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Taika stuff. I, I, yeah. saw, I saw Hunt for the Wilder People, which I loved. We've reviewed it here. Go yeah. check that episode out. And also uh, what we do in the shadows. Just recently rewatched it uh, yeah. on Halloween because that movie's great. Um, uh, also, uh, I, 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 and this is sort of a, it was a culmination for me because uh, I'm in the small camp that really liked both Thor movies. Right. So most people like the first one fine. Yeah. And a lot of people hate Dark World. Yeah. Uh, Dark World, it's funny. Uh, the pro- th- this is the interesting thing about this, and and I might take this back as we have this discussion, but I, I I thought of this when watching this film, and in comparison, all of the problems I have with Thor: The Dark World still exist in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie is obviously a far more enjoyable film, just because Taika is is so fucking funny, and yeah. he knows he knows his way around silliness. Yeah. Um. And we can get into more of bits of points like that. But I was fascinated that the the same problems I had are still here. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's an MCU issue or, or, or what Taika considers important to, to, to do or tweak or do whatever. I mean, you never really quite know. Yeah. Uh, maybe once we discuss, you can, cause you've watched more of a breadth of his work. You could kind of answer some of those questions. Well, I was curious. I mean, I was, I, I did a thing sort of mental exercise, which I was like, I was thinking about the MCU movies and I was starting to, and I, and I, so a lot of my problems with the MCU movies tends to come down to is that is that I think they're building something interesting, but I don't think individually most of the movies have been that pleasurable or enjoyable for me as individual movies. And I sort of sat down and did an exercise where I was like, okay, well, who was the, who, what was the antagonist in every film? And I started like, I, I started at Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, um, who Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Is, am I missing something? Uh, are those the only films we've got? So far, three of each of those probably at this point. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and then, then the Avengers, get, uh, Avengers, but and then Ant Man, Doctor Strange, Andrew, Doctor Strange. So I, I was like going, what was the antagonist of each of these films? Because I, you know, like I think we've talked about this as like a film is only as good as its antagonist in some respects. You know, it's I agree own, and disagree with that. There's, it's, there's moments. It's only uh, the success of a film to me is is only as good as the, how how interesting the conflict within the film is. Sure. And for me, a lot of times the conflict in these films isn't that interesting. I think civil war did a really good job with the mm-hmm. conflict. Yeah. I was really, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, so I kind of did that exercise and I was like, yeah, I kind of remember them, but, but my problem is uh, for most part, I, I don't, I don't really care that much. And this is an interesting thing. And this is something, uh, and this, I want to clarify this steps away from my theory that she here hates fun. Uh, this is an actual thing. And it just comes down to, I feel like interest. Yeah. Uh, because I'm so interested in this world and I have a deep seated history in it and, and whatnot. Um, I, the, the things you're seeing as a detriment of like, oh, well, either you need to see some things to sort of get this thing or like perhaps like let's look at Iron Man one yeah. uh, Ironmonger uh, uh, Jeff. Uh, uh, why am I blanking on Jeff Bridges? Je- thank you yeah. so much. The dude. Um, yeah, it's not a great villain. Yeah, uh, but 
there's some interesting interplay and actually what I, what I consider sort of the antagonist part of that is Tony battling his sort of previous ego. self and yeah. ego. Um, so there's moments like that that are great. But then look, Thor Dark World, Malkaeth is cookie cutter. Yeah. But here's the thing. Kate Blanchett's Hella is cookie cutter, but she does a better job and the director does a better job. So, so we'll jump into Thor Ragnarok now. And I will say this. I flat out loved seeing this in the theater. I absolutely had just a blast watching this. Um, I, I know that, that there's a potential for me to be biased here because I know what Taika does and I was looking out for it. Um, and, and the other thing was that, that I was like just in awe of is that there was so much New Zealand specific humor, particularly the character he played Korg, um, in this. And I, I was just kind of like, I was elated at this sort of sense that, that this little slice of the place I come from was now on a world stage. Uh, and I was just like thrilled to kind of see that. And I was like, it was just this, like, you know, to hear Taika do Korg, you know, and that sort of, Oh, we're going to start a revolution. It's going to be great. You want to come? It's like, that's the kind of joke humor we have in high school or in, you know, in primary school in, in New Zealand. Um, so to see that kind of take the world stage and to see it be embraced by the audience was just a real thrill for me. It's being embraced monetarily as well. Yeah. I mean, we got, I was just looking at the numbers and uh, as of uh, recording this Sunday evening, uh, we're looking at 121 million domestic, about 306 million foreign. Off a production budget of what? Uh, 180. Now, now, granted, this is its second week uh, international, but still, that's. I mean, they made their money it's, back. Look, I'm sure this movie's going to make money. Everyone's going to do. Everyone's going to. There's a, there's a thing about it. I think Marvel movies, on average, make two points, like uh, like two point seven times their like. Hence thing. why they yeah. keep getting or 207, made. Or two hundred and seven. Um, and you know, hence why I say the the the, the Universal Cinematic Universe is, is in jeopardy. Right. It's it. You know, it's all about finance. Oh my but, god. And, oh, okay. But what I, I what I. So so what I, so I love that. Um, I, I loved just seeing, you know, Taika take the center stage, um, you know, and, and I think for me watching him as a filmmaker is that I feel like he's gotten better every movie he's done, you know, and, and, and what's become apparent in this one is his sense of comedic timing has almost hit like this sort of, uh, surgical precision, uh, in this case as well. He talks a lot, um, in interviews about like the role of editing in comedy and the way in which the, the, you know, like, uh, frames can change the value of a joke. Um, you know, like, like if you, if, if, a, if a joke la- sits on for, for 10 frames too long, it can suddenly become unfunny. Yep. Whereas if it's like, cut really sharply or sometimes jokes need to be 30 yeah. frames yep. or, you know, uh, three minutes of like dead 100%. time in order to work. So he's get, he's got this like surgical precision when it comes to his joking. Um, I am in the camp where I thought Kenneth Branagh's Thor was an interesting attempt to like bring this Shakespearean Wagnerian kind of sense of, you know, like epicness to the, to the Marvel world. But then I found that the first film, once it landed on earth, and it got just past that fish beyond a fish out of the water thing. I, I kind of lost interest in, you know, whatever the thing, you know, the middle monster thing that was coming out. I was like, yeah, Annihilator, I think it's called. Yeah. 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 You know, it is that problem of antagonist. I, right, but he, that wasn't the antagonist in the movie. Loki was right. I, I, I still, I find the Loki thing kind of, you know, it's, I'm neither here nor there on it, including on the Avengers, including in every iteration of Loki. I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm neither here nor there. I think uh, they do a, a fantastic job. I think the through line of Loki 
is really interesting. Uh, it, it's, the through line of Loki is the most consistent thing in the MCU. And I love that. It's a character that, uh, it's so funny because his MO is there the entire time and you'll always see it either the betrayal or it's this constant ping pong back and forth, the betrayal versus a little bit of heroism back forth, back forth. Yeah. And that's something you don't see in film characters a whole bunch. Like he is. And I like, I like this, this fact that he is literally like the God of mischief and comes off as so middle ground. Like he swings on a pendulum, but that pendulum is constantly swinging back and forth for, for where his sort of uh, morals, if any lie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I like how consistent they've kept Loki and you know, you all, it, it, it gives you that weird, I know what's going to happen, but it still feels kind of shocking when it does. Right. And that's something that's hard to do. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm neither here nor there on it. Um, um, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, but I, it doesn't excite me or anything like that. Um, I, and, and, and I, you know, there are a couple of MCU movies, particularly, my, I guess my thing is when I, when I watch it, when I don't see an MCU movie in the theater, I, m- I miss all the excitement and hype of going to see it. And that's when I like, that's when I find they like get their most tiresome for me. So, so for example, I saw Thor the Dark World on at home and I, I, I barely made it through that. It was, it was real tough to, for me to finish that movie. I watched Dr. Strange recently. And while I was kind of like, yeah, this is okay. I really, I was like checking my watch a lot during that movie. And I was, I was just having a tough time, like trying to finish it. I, I didn't feel the impulse to get through it. Hmm. Um, what I loved about what they've done here with Thor Ragnarok is that they, 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 to me, why this works is it has a real Saturday morning cartoon kind of vibe to it. It has a real, like the, the, the Hela character is kind of, yes, I know she exists in the Marvel, uh, you know, history, but in the, in the film history, she just seems conjured out of thin air. It's like, oh, you've got this other sister. Here she is. She's going to like, you know, wreak havoc on your planet, wreak havoc on your planet and, you know, and go. And, and there's like, this is to me. And, and it really, I actually found that, you know, like, like you said, the, the, the villain of Thor, the dark world, it's, it's the same problems, which is that it's not, it, Hela's character. Isn't that interesting? The threat that she imposes while devastating thematically to the characters doesn't feel really big. It's just kind of like there. And, but, but the, the timing and precision of the jokes and the way, and the, the way in which this movie is genuinely funny, like actually laugh out loud and surprisingly funny. And I, I want to take us back to a moment last, was it last year when we refer, reviewed Lady Ghost, I'm going to call it Lady Ghostbusters, but the Ghostbusters remake, <laughs> which was a movie that ostensibly tried to do the same thing and featured one Chris Hemsworth doing the same shtick. Um, Very funny know, man, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, but, 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 but. We, you recall how badly that movie didn't work because it wasn't funny and it wasn't fun to watch mm-hmm. and it didn't, there was no visceral pleasure in it uh, other than seeing Chris Hemsworth basically play against his beautiful man type. You know, the Thor thing has been he's beautiful and he's heroic and he's immortal. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in this, he's like a lovable goofball. And I, I so I love that they they basically said, let's reconfigure what we've done in Thor one and two. Like, let's take that kind of goofball angle. That's that's there, but like really just make that the focus of what this film is. Let's wrap it up in the Saturday morning cartoon kind of vibe with this. Like, yes, there's a bad guy here. Yes. There's a thing that needs to be resolved, but ultimately we're just going to have a good time the whole way. And, and I was like, 
you know what? This works for me. I'm in, I'm enjoying this. I love the lines. I love what's happening. Um, and, and it, it doesn't, you know, like all the problems that I still have with the MCU movies and, and like whether they, they're consequential beyond what's in there for, you know, what's in there. Um, still, still problematic here, but I just had a better time watching this movie. My only other thing about that though, is like, I don't know if you can do this with every, with any other character. And I think this is a really good marriage of directors, writer, and this particular character. Sure. Because it's a different comedy than James Gunn gives yeah. for the guardians. This is, this is the, and, and it doesn't feel like any other MCU. You. The, out of all of the uh, Avengers, the core team, um, Thor felt like the kind of most redundant. Right. Because, uh, okay, so you got Iron Man and he's sort of his own specialty thing with the whole, you know, uh, genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Yeah. You got Cap, who is both honorable and a fish out of water, like the most honorable man. Yeah. Then you have Thor, who's super strong and like gets angry and ragey. Then you have Black Widow and you mean uh, Hulk, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Hulk. Uh, and then you have Black Widow and Hawkeye, who are sort of the paramilitary people along with, uh, you know, uh, Nick Fury. Uh, and then Thor is if you, I mean, yes, there's the God angle, but like he, he was mainly fish out of water in the first one and super strong. So he's kind of like a combo of captain America and Hulk. Yeah. And like this giving him this sort of slapsticky, not even slapsticky, just sort of like uh bouncy humor is the best way I can yeah. sort of call it is a very smart move because it differentiates him from uh, the rest of, of the Avengers. And I think that's very, very smart. Um, the thing that, uh, and, and uh, I mean, I guess I didn't even say my sort of beginning things. This movie's great. I agree with all that. Um, I I really do enjoy it. In fact, it's probably in my uh, my top five Marvel movies at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, the acting was great. Everyone like was seemed like they really loved what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like Taika is kind of a joy to work with based yeah. on like even like, you know, what's interesting about press for films. Like they always come up with like a gimmick or like a silly thing to do. And all these gimmicks that I've seen, even like, like poorly green screen things or like whatever that marketing companies have come up with. Everyone seems like they're really enjoying all of the commercial aspects of the, of promoting this thing, yeah. which doesn't always happen. Yeah. And that kind of, uh, I like that meta narrative of just like everyone really having a good time. Um, and I, I feel like I could, I could totally just keep gushing on this movie for the rest of the, for the rest of the time, but I'm not going to, Uh um, Uh because I mean, if we want to keep talking about positives, I can, I can hundred percent do that. I think everyone sort of knows where I fall with this stuff. Um, but there's a couple things that I was expecting to be better. Okay. Um, one of which was any and all gravity, uh, to the story whatsoever. Okay. Um, I liked, I mean, the stuff that has hit me the hardest has been some of the Iron Man stuff and uh, the Avengers and Captain America Civil War because it feels like, now, I, I know it's the illusion of stakes because there's a status quo and blah, 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 and, you know, you can't just go off and kill people or have things, people disappear because it's the money-making machine, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully Infinity War breaks that and lets that actually happen, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um a big problem you have with this stuff, Shahir, it seems like in the past anyway, has been uh, having any sort of stakes whatsoever, have it matter. Or just, it just, it seems like everyone's sort of in the same thing as they were at at the beginning as the end. Uh, This movie, uh, I was hoping it had, would have, I knew it'd be funny because Tyga's hilarious. I was hoping it had a little more, not even relevance, just like weight to it. Like there's, there's two particular things that because this movie is so funny. Yeah. 
it makes the the things that should be important not important anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two things I'm thinking of is the death of the Warriors three, mm-hmm. and also oh now we're, oh so now we're getting into spoilers. Whoops, we're there. Yeah, we're, we're assuming because of the Disney marketing machine, you've seen this movie. Yeah, uh, and the biggest spoiler, uh, I guess, of all, unless you've seen actually the Infinity War poster, is uh, Thor dies. Thor, yeah, no, Thor loses an eye. Eye for an eye. Uh, now those two things in my head and I love this stuff. Like mm-hmm. it would be very easy for that to get to, to have weight for me. Mm-hmm. It's totally just cast just off happens. as like, yeah. it just happens. And yeah. I, I'm wondering if there's a threshold of comedy action or comedy draw, like the, 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 the mixing of them. Can you do that? And I was going back. I was like, well, let's look at the two films I've seen of Taika's thus far uh, before Thor Ragnarok. It's been what we do in the shadows, which is hilarious, has no weight to it whatsoever. Doesn't really matter that it doesn't. It they, just they try to do something with Taika's character and the old woman. But it, all, but but it does like, not work. I mean, really it, it, it does, yeah. yeah, it's not, not that it doesn't work. It's just not an, it's not presented as super important. Yeah. Uh, but then fuck hunt for the wilder people, man. Like that movie is hilarious. And Sam Neill's final haiku. Yeah. And it's just so it's so touching too. Yeah, like, yeah. so there's this weird balance of like fucking drop jaw hilarity and, and pull at your heartstringsness. And I was really kind of hoping cause um, Thor has worked in other sort of ways, very Shakespearean or actually very sort of master of the universe for Thor of the dark world, which yeah. works in my wheelhouse. So I was hoping that like, maybe now I could get sort of a winter soldier esque vibe for Thor having emotional weight to a character. Yeah. And, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I again, I, this is not me saying it's a bad thing. It's something that I was hoping for that I knew Taika was able to do. And who knows if it's just a spacing issue of like, oh, the MCU needs you to do this. So you can't do that and whatever. Like, but like a very easy fix. Let's just the two, the two problems I had was the death of the Warriors three. I don't care that they died. I was don't. there a female warrior? Sif, she couldn't be in it due to scheduling conflicts. So that's why she's not in the film. Yeah. That's why her character is not important. Anymore. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, what happens in the film is uh, Hela goes to the, the Bifrost to try to like do something there, get the yeah. sword so she controls the Bifrost. <laughs> and uh, the warriors three, two of them. Um, I'm trying to remember. They are, you know, I think that was Fandrell and Volstag were there or mm-hmm. no Hogan and Volstag. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just fucking ices them like instantly. And it's meant to be like a, whoa, she's so powerful. Yeah. Later on, you see the third one of them, uh, Hogan, not the Hulk. Yeah. In front of an army ready of Asgardians ready to fight Hela. Yeah. I just thought it would have been a cleaner, more uh, meaningful thing to have the three of them there, have their little, because the battle's already there. Your SFX budget and everything is already there in a battle. Yeah. Like, it felt like a lot of Taika's pacing, especially in what we do in the shadows is very like, here's a chunk of a scene. Here's a chunk of a scene. Here's a ch-. like, it's very piecemeal and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but I feel like they split that moment up and bled fat too quickly through Like at least in that battle, like yeah. there was a moment of like the whole armies are fighting. She's killing everybody. Uh, he's holding his own for a second. These are characters that have been with us for two whole movies and they're supposed to be Thor's best friends and he doesn't mention them once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that bugged me. I do agree with what you're saying. However, I guess my issue is being is that I've, I 
personally have never cared about those interrelationships. So sure. for the so for the film to to kind of gloss over them and just kind of like run through the story as quickly and efficiently as possible with the end goal of just making me laugh and smile, I was okay with. Yeah. I do agree. I do agree with you that there's no weight. But I think the thing is as well, and I'll I'll go back to our Guardians of the Galaxy review, which is that the. Um, we talk a little bit about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two, the the sort of revelation of Peter Quill's father, and and the the loss of like knowing who his real dad was, you know, versus who his adopted dad was. To me, I actually found that not really that meaningful and I didn't and like so the more that the film tries to like make that work for me sure the less I'm invested in it that really worked for me yeah no I can yeah. and, I, and I understand so so what I so I guess what I'm saying is again because to me the best way I would describe this is a Saturday morning cartoon yeah, yeah is that I was okay with that sort of lack of gravitas you know to this whole thing and I don't even need like huge gravitas mm-hmm. I just need uh, you needed a little respect to the the property the property but also at the end of the day all of this comes down to all the tiny these or these two problems I have come down to Thor's relevance or Thor's importance. This is a character that's supposed to be uh, he's one of the tent poles of this entire thing. And yeah. even beyond that, he's supposed to be an important character. Right. Uh, his three best friends get destroyed without a word. Yeah. And then also when he lost his eye. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even go Oh, like there was no mo- like the way it was shot was just so like and then this happened. Yeah, yeah, and also because uh, it 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 doesn't have any weight to it because it's also like there's a sort of a it's of no real consequence because Odin has lost his eye, so it's just this kind well, of like I am like now my I am now like, like my father. But this is the weird thing: Thor, Dark World, he loses his hand, or it, it, there's the illusion that he uses his hand, loses his hand, yeah. and that moment to me, I was like, holy shit! Also, he loses Molnir in this in in this film, and, and it's like, that moment had power for me. But you know what's interesting about that? I, and it's in the advertising. Uh, that's in front of a green screen. And they changed where it happens in the trailer versus where it happens in, in the film. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's because I had seen the trailer, but the but the green screen, the compositing didn't look wonderful in that moment. So that it was jarring because I'd seen the trailer. I'm like, this isn't where it happens. And I'm glad they did it because I liked that it was a bit of a surprise where it happens and whatnot. Um but that but it, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't matter that he loses Molnir. He he can still Mjolnir. Like, Mjolnir. There's there a go. if you can see the uh, the short film that they made with like Thor lounging around in Australia and making drawings about Molnir yeah. and saying trying with to muscles print. when he yeah. lives with Daryl. Yeah, exactly. What happened it's, during it's, Civil it's, War? Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, uh, so 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 just closing up that shit is uh, there. Because I know Taika can do this and do it very well and kind of quickly and transition very quickly, I was a little bit disappointed because I was expecting that level of like uh, nimbleness with the comedy versus uh, any sort of emotion that was portrayed. The only time it hit for me really was the brother stuff with Loki, especially in the elevator. Uh, They have like some really nice moments uh, together in this film that I feel like that was a nice thing. It's almost like... Taika wanted to just like there were there was characters of this franchise that he liked and then there was shit that he didn't care about like for instance I bet you Thor losing an eye I bet you that was a must for Marvel I bet you for whatever reason that was on a list saying Taika you can do whatever you want Thor has to lose an eye and he's like got it Mm. because it didn't feel like he cared about that moment therefore it didn't matter yeah Uh, Uh, and that's that's fine Um, and that's just, I feel like maybe that's just the price we all pay with artists that we like that have to be involved in this sort of thing. Yeah. I guess I was kind of, I was surprised at how much they lit him or how much it felt like he was injecting 
his very personal humor. And and again, you know, like and I do think that's great that the, the way, you know, because again, if you look at uh, Chris Lord and Phil Miller on uh, on another Disney property, the Han Solo movie, they got fired for this very reason. But I think they knew like in this. It's so funny because I think they knew like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. Thor, we need mm-hmm. something. Yeah. We need we need another comedy thing. Not Guardians, not James Gunn. Yeah. But we need it to be something completely different. This guy's hilarious. Yeah. Let's roll. Let's- Whereas Han Solo, Star Wars, I don't know if we're ever going to get a Star Wars comedy. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe we will. Maybe we will now that they've seen this shit. Like, yeah, yeah. But, Who uh, knows? I, I guess, you know, like, again, I I am moderately indifferent to the entire mythology of the of the of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point. Like, I, I it just it doesn't it doesn't um, land for me in a way that's meaningful or profound. I think the closest I got was the end of Civil War with um, who is the, the bad guy's name in the end of Zemo. War? What's his name? Baron Zemo. Baron Zemo. And, and like this idea that he has lost something personal. He's one of the, he's one of the top three villains, which is weird. This is normal dude. What, what's, what's your top three villains? Uh, Ego, then Zemo, then number one is still Loki. Cause I think they do a, like a Mar- what I basically had said beforehand. Okay. Yeah. So for me, for me, like only Zemo is the one that I'm mildly interested in. Sure. Um, and, and again, I just, I, I think, you know, like if you look at Taika's, uh, approach to this film and approach to the marketing and everything around it. The you and even in the film itself, you would argue that that the the one consistent qualitative factor in his whatever his brand of comedy is is irreverence. It's like yes. it's like it's like saying, oh, there are these. Oh yes, we know that there's this myth god thing, but look, he's an idiot. You know, like you yeah. Know, and and but then there's wilder people, man. Like that's that's. But I think even in wilder people, the the whole point is that there is an irreverence to the way in which scenes should play out. It's like when, when, uh, when the kids. But there's is, a weight to effective character. No, no, but I, I mean, I think he eventually gets there with that film as well. In that, in that sense, is that, but it's also because you know, and I gotta say, he's not trying to do like a franchise with that film. He's trying to wrap up what these two characters mean to each other in that movie. And so, you know, that's the way you wrap those two characters up in, in, in the Thor universe. We know this is going to continue. I, I did. I, and I will say this there, for me, there was an interesting moment and I think it comes through in the, the cultural landscape we're living through now, uh, post Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> post, uh, post, you know, the Kevin Spacey kind of controversy. The, the, R.I.P. by Halloween costume. Yeah, there you go. Um, just this notion of, of you know, the, what I think is exciting and powerful right now is that's happening is that is that the, the norms that we believed as standard are no longer being tolerated. Mm-hmm. And. And there's a moment in uh, Ragnarok where uh, Tessa, uh, what is her name? Tessa, Tessa Thompson's character, the Valkyrie. Valkyrie. Um, basically looks at the historic, the the history uh, of Odin and the way in which, and, and I think even, even Hela does this as well. And she, and she, and there's a moment that we notice, which is that like all the women have been written out of these histories and all the, you know, like what we thought to be true is not, is not true. And I, and what I think is smart about this movie is it doesn't try to replace that with more heroism from Thor. Yeah. His actual, uh, way to succeed is to step out of the way yeah, and agreed. realize that he has, you know, he has no relevance in this conversation. And I, and I thought for me, like when, when that started happening, I was like, Oh, this is actually a really smart play and it's, it's subversive in an interesting way. Now I don't think the film really like is aiming to make that the, the central ploy of this movie, but that's why the- it's great. 
I think because it's it's it's, it's, it's a subtext. Little, yeah. It's a subtext. It's not making a huge deal out of it, yeah. but it's presenting something that's important. Well, because it, it can't really do what this film needs to do, which is make Tessa the hero. You know, like it can't make Tessa the central central character because that's not the way the world operates in this universe. So, so, but I think it's, it, it plays, it mentions it, it plays it on a smart level and then it moves on, which I think, you know, in terms of the irreverence with which Taika mm -hmm. and his writers play with on this film, it's, it's surprising to me, by the way, that Taika isn't credited as a writer on this film because it feels, I, I know a lot of it was improvised, but it feels like, uh, the three writers that are on this, Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Christopher Yost, it feels like they're writing with his voice. And, and it's hard to like not feel like he has had some hand in the actual I'm sure screenplay. sure he has. There's yeah. no question. Um, but, but to the point where it's like, I, I would... I can't imagine anyone else writing in Taika's voice. So like to have three credited screenwriters that doesn't include him seems unusual to me, but, but, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, Valkyrie is the standout for me in this film. Yeah. Uh, that and honestly, uh, Goldblum as, uh, the grand master, because, and that might be just a pure, like Goldblum a, playing Goldblum, but that's I mean. like pure casting yeah. genius. Like, yeah. because the grand master is one of the, the brothers of these, uh, beings. I forget exactly what they're called in the MCU, but the collector's one of them that are just basically the almost, like id of specific types of uh, attributes humanity does. So the collector collects. Yeah. The grand master is obsessed with games. Yeah. Like, and it's just to have that sort of spacey uh, yeah. gold bloom nonsense <laughs> was just pure casting genius. <laughs> and I was happy to see that he wasn't just a cameo. Yeah. He wasn't Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and again, that was a moment and uh, this, the Dr. Strange thing. I loved seeing it. I mm -hmm. think it was really fun and the fun of it weighed outweighed the other thing I was half expecting. Maybe Dr. Strange like does something at the end to kind of wrap up like a bow with it. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. And that was like, okay, I mean, I guess yeah, that's yeah. cool. It's just, I just, it's, it was, it was like icing. Yeah. Um, it's just what it is. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, I, I, I think the, the way in which he kind of like just irreverently treats all of this material and yeah. it just got, and again, uh, like I'm going to kind of keep coming back to Saturday morning cartoon. It's that sense that this is a period, this is an episodical. Our main goal is to just have a good time, enjoy this as much as possible. And for the, for me personally, for the first time, I mean, I, I mildly enjoyed uh, guardians of the galaxy, but I didn't like, this was j laugh out loud. Funny I think for me. what I, f I think I figured out sort of you, you, because it doesn't affect you for whatever reason, any sort of, and, and that could be a fault of the film. That could be, a fault of your upbringing or your, your, well, your don't talk about my upbringing on this, on this show, buddy. No, I mean, you don't know anything about my upbringing. No, but I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> I mean, and I'm maybe fault is the wrong word. I'm saying, um, uh, the style or what you were into when you right. were a kid or what the, what you were involved with as you were for your formulative years of entertainment you consumption, move to your point. <laughs> uh, is that you, because if something doesn't work, I guess it could be saved with humor. Yeah. Uh, the, and because of, of my upbringing or my sort of cultural uh, touch points of whatever, uh, the, the, I, 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 I find more fault in just the humor working. Here, here's the thing. I, so I love comedy and I, but what I, what I don't like is comedy that thinks it's funny and it isn't. isn't. Oh yeah, and, that's and, the worst. And it's the worst. And I think you know, like Ghostbusters is a good example of that. Where yeah, it's yeah. like where every joke kind of like the you, new Jumanji movie looks just like. Yeah, that. it's like you can see the writing. You can see like, oh, we think this is going to be hilarious, and it's like it's not. Whereas 
I the thing about the comedy here is I think it's genuinely funny 100%. and it comes from a place of like like comedy you know is more difficult than drama and it because it requires you to be smarter like you like like great comedians are geniuses you know like and that and that's what I love about great comedy is sure. that is that it touches it, it plays on your intelligence I and, don't know if comedy is harder than drama like when you get to the greats of it I, I really, I genuinely believe like comedy is much more difficult to be effective than drama is I, it's uh, like, for some, for, for, for intellectual people. The, uh, there's a weird, there's a weird sort of tinge of you're, you're hundred percent right. Look, I'm not disagreeing with co good comedy is incredibly difficult. You, you need to be a master at it to do it. Taika is a master. Many comedians that I love their standup. I feel like are masters. Uh, but like then there could, but I feel like cheap comedy relies on the same style or type anyway of cheap tricks that bad drama does like it, too much on archetypes. Right, but bad drama doesn't work either. That's what I'm saying. I feel like I, I don't know if, if one is harder than the other. I feel like people are better at one than the other. Right. No. Yeah. I, I, you, people are instinctually aligned to one particular yeah, medium or the yeah. other. Yeah. So I have a hard time. Yeah. That's yeah. But I, I, I do believe that comedy is a very difficult thing Super to do. Super hard. And you know, again, uh, Paul Feig who directed, uh, Ghostbusters, you know, brilliantly directed Bridesmaid and, you know, like knows comedy, but completely falls flat in, in, yeah. in Ghostbusters. It's, uh, and so it's, it's, it's a very tricky medium to get right. And it's very tricky to make it land and land in a way that doesn't feel cheap. You know, like that, that's a difficult thing to do. It's um, interesting because the comedy here doesn't feel cheap at all. It's no, just it doesn't the, feel the cheap. The story kind of does. Yeah. The story is, yeah, the story is cheap, but then, you know, to me, most most of the film's stories have been kind of. See, that's where I disagree, which we, we've debated. That's yeah, a, we've yeah. debated but that. It's enough. so strange. It's so. Why for me? I feel like I should be more singing this film's praises because I did love it. Like yeah. I loved sitting there and watching it. I went with a bunch of friends and it was like super fun. Yeah. Uh, I think there's many aspects of it that are just, uh, just a pure fucking delight. Like yeah. this feels like it should have been like a, a June like blockbustery yeah. thing to yeah. just go with. I think it's Maybe more it too close to guardians for that. Reason, yeah. I yeah. think it's far more enjoyable than uh, if it on a pure joy level of yeah. than Spider-Man. Um, yeah. the, the, like the negative I would have on this film on, you know, in that point is that, is that guardians, Spider-Man, uh, whatever, what other Marvel movies have we done on this show? Uh, most of them civil war. Uh, Civil War, I kind of, I, I do have a special place, for, yeah. but most of those films, I, you know, they, they don't, they don't have a lasting impact. They're kind of like a sugar high. But will this have of, a lasting impact? I don't think though. this will either, but I enjoyed the sugar high of this sure. more than, more than those. I think maybe ones. my, my inkling <laughs> is just leaning towards something like Guardians 2 where I think it's, it's not hilarious. Yeah. I think the first guardians is funnier than the second guardians, but right. I think the second guardians has more weight than right. the first guardians. And I just, this is the weird thing because, and I keep going back to hunt for the wilder people mm -hmm. uh, because I saw that and I saw the just pure masterful balance of these two worlds of comedy and drama from this guy. Yeah. I think I went into this expecting a little more than what I got from the drama or weighty side of it. Now, again, I don't want to take away. It is so fucking funny and fun to watch. Um, but I don't know. Like I was like, Oh, this is going to make me like really like 
not only laugh with Thor, but like care what happens. Like, I don't give a shit about Asgard. Asgard felt the most empty here than all of the three movies. Yeah. And even though from a writing perspective, side note, I love how it treated Ragnarok. Right. So it's not like Hela's trying to bring about Ragnarok. Yeah. Ragnarok is the solution for no one being able to kill Hela. Right. And that was so fucking cool. I love shit that like a thing happens in the beginning of the movie. Then they're like, oh yeah. And they use it as the way to sort of finish the action yeah. in the end. I, I like all that. I think, I think, you know, the thing that it comes down to is that, um, and the thing that I think I was kind of a little bit in awe of is that, uh, Taika's last film, Hunt for the Will of People had a budget of $2.5 million New Zealand, I would say, yeah. you know, so sort of like, or maybe it was 2.5 US million, you know, like it's, it's not a lot of money. And, and Sam Neill and the <laughs> woman who plays the cop in that movie were in this. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel house. Yeah. And, um, uh, we, he jumps from a $2.5 million film to a $180 million film with a rabid fan base. People love these characters and people are interested. And I think, you know, like uh, a, a less confident director, a less confident person maybe. And again, this gets into that sort of tricky area of auteur theory where it's like, you're trying to discern the art from the artist it would like be kind of beholden to the franchise, be beholden to the history of the character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I, I read uh, planet Hulk before we're going to see this. I'm sorry. I don't mind Planet Hulk, but it was like, but the, th the funny, the funny thing was, was reading Korg uh, in Planet Hulk, who is this like noble warrior. Um, and, and then seeing Tyke's take on it where he plays uh, like, and I've seen him describe it this way as he plays it at a bouncer from the Hawks Bay, which is this small town in New Zealand, yeah. you know, like who's just sort of like this, this goofy guy. And, and I was like, he really isn't beholden to like trying to please people who love these characters and the way he treats Thor very much so is this like, I don't really, you know, like right. I don't care that but this is supposed to be the Norse God of thunder. The thing about it is no one gives a shit about Korg. Yeah. It, no one does. But yeah. I love, but I think I he love treats the Hulk that way as well. You know and, what I mean? And, and, and I would argue that no one actually gives a shit about the Hulk. Right. People like the Hulk and what he can do. Cause it's a neat sort of power set, but no but, one, but, but I compare think that to like the Avengers and, and they basically make fun of that line in this film it was like the sun's going down, buddy. The sun. No, yeah, they mock the shit out of it. It's great. Yeah. I love it. You know, but, so I'm but saying but he, I, he's not doing the same thing that Joss Whedon does, which is that Joss Whedon loves these characters and he does a good, and Joss, Joss Whedon, Whedon did set up the initial idea. And I don't think that this is, um, this is, I think the Marvel, I think Kevin, and everybody has sort of rolled with this that Thor is is the f is the funny one you know just his the way he was sort of fish out of water all of his shit and all that stuff like they all had little jokes in Avengers but Thor's stuff if you look at it it's very it's much more slapsticky right so I think and then Thor Dark World kind of didn't really do anything with that and now now you give it to Taika and he can do his own sort of thing yeah. I think I think Joss opened the door for Marvel to be amicable to doing this awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's like, he's not as, you know, like he's not as reverent to no, who and I these think people that's are fine yeah. for, for characters like Korg. In fact, I think when these films do interesting stuff with minor characters, like uh, no one gives a shit about the collector, but Benicio del Toro did such a cool, just like weird vibe to it. Like again, ego, the living planet. No one gives a fuck in the comics of what happens to it. Yeah. But like Kurt Russell gave it a little bit of a life that it didn't already have. And, and this obviously is a more extreme version with Korg. Uh, and that's fine. I, I, uh, I just, I, I, it's so funny that wilder people is the reason that I can't get a hundred percent on board. And, and, and it's my own. It's, 
it's my own fault. I think uh, that I can't, I just, uh, I think I wanted to have like 90% good time with 10% feels. And I just got like a hundred percent good time, which is, which is great. Yeah. I love movies like that, but I think when it's so close to the wheelhouse that I want to have the emotional, it's the reason, I mean, it's not the same case, but like, when Terminator three came out and I think the director was Jonathan Mostow and they wanted, and they sort of started playing the same scenes that they did from Terminator two as jokes. And I was like, oh, I'm not into this because yeah. I love, I love what they did in Terminator two. And, but I guess in this case, I don't really care too much. Yeah, and, and, so, and, and the most people I don't think will, I, yeah. I think, I think the joys of this film completely outweigh these sort of weird petty. And I don't even think, I don't, I honestly don't think my complaints, I was going to call them fanboyish. Yeah. I don't think they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think every bit of change and like, I like how I like all the changes they made. I just wish that some of the, that, that the movie I watched had some weight to character. Let's, let's jump uh, sideways for a second and talk about the score. Um, okay. in, a yeah. couple, in a couple of different respects for one is the, that they got Mark Mothersburg to score the film, former bandmate, uh, former, uh, is your bandmate. Uh, yeah. My former bandmate, former band, uh, Part of the band of Devo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it scored a lot of Wes Anderson films, scored the Lego movies, scored the Royal Tannenbaum, scored uh, a film that we talked about, um, The Life Aquatic. Uh, and, yeah. and I think, and I think um, Mothersburg's uh, aesthetic, which is this sort of like 90 synth pop kind of so thing, good. is you feel that in this film. And I think that's closer to what Taika's done. It's closer to, um, you know, like Taika's worked a lot with the, the Phoenix Foundation, a New Zealand band who has that kind of feel to it as well. I'm hoping to go out on a Phoenix Foundation we song for we this. Will. Um, so I really, you know, I like that 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 they he basically did like weird '90s sci-fi, so <laughs> you good. know, for this film, and I and, and I think it was just a really appropriate choice. But also talking about the immigrant song, uh, Led Zeppelin's track that's used uh, at both at the beginning. It's and used in, a bunch. Yeah, it's used a and and the thing was is is that I was reminded of our conversation around Guardians of the Galaxy and the use of music, and I think the thing for me was is I've definitely heard the immigrant song a lot yeah. before. I've listened. We all know that song. Uh, it was used famously in the David Fincher adaptation of the girl with the dragon tattoo with uh, Karen O doing a, doing a remix yeah, of it. Yeah, it was a great, um, great track. It was a great track. Yeah. But I, I thought this was a really smart play on it because, because un, unlike just using it as score, it actually became uh, a lit motif for the character. And so we saw it at the beginning. It's like, Oh, he's this badass, but he's going to lose everything. And then it comes back when he get, you know, when he realizes true power. Now it's not like, profound or anything like that, but it's just a smart use of that track that works, uh, you know, basically while still using a song that we're all really familiar with, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that was a complaint that I had about gardens, of the galaxy. I know, but it's, this, it's, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Well, the thing in the gardens, of the galaxy is it did what we expected that song to do. And whereas this is uses it in a repeated way yeah, to, but that's, to, to, to make a punctuation. It mark. still does exactly what you expect it to do. It does what you expect it to do, but it works. And I, and I, it's, it it's, works. It's, I just, I'm just saying it's the same thing and it worked for you here. Maybe but, because you connected with this film more than it worked for you. In I think it, w- it worked for me here because it connected with what I was seeing on screen in a way. And it, it was connected a, 
beautifully, Guardians. I, I it, it didn't land for me in Guardians, but I think here, I think your, I think your love for your your love for the awesome stuff that this man does. Is no, showing I'm, here. and again, I I did preface this with it's not profound or anything, but I, I think don't. like when we heard Cat Stevens in Guardians of the Galaxy, I was kind of like, whereas here, I was like, cool. It had the same emotional effect for me. It's the same trick, and it, I like that trick. It's a good trick, and it works. I, I just like that it was repeated. Here. Yeah, I think that that was what kind of like made it work for me. Um, and so, you know, this added use of Mark's Mothersborough plus, plus the, the, you know, the smart usage of pop culture. Tracks, and the like smart the- use of mirroring uh, basic graphic treatments, colors, mm-hmm. that sort of visual aesthetic with this style of music makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense. Right. It feels this is something I'll say that I, 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 and I, even from the trailers gravitated towards this, this weird ass fucking world they've built and that, that literally takes place on a, on a, on an interdimensional, uh, island of misfit toys, uh, all feels very complete and very, um, just, uh, like a solid actual, um, place due to the art design uh the the influence by the jack kirby work i I love that i love that there was a line that thor has in this film which was like it's like this room pick a color red or white which is it yeah yeah, (laughs) i I just love like that they they were making fun of everything everything but asgard felt really really complete to me Uh, and asgard should and it's funny the importance of what asgard looks like uh or asgard the it has gone down each thor film and now it's not even there anymore so but asgard is a people shahir it's not a place yeah and hopefully with the mcu we get with the comic treatment where uh tony stark builds them a new asgard in oklahoma but i don't think that'll probably (laughs) is that that what's going to happen well that's what happens and then uh uh, but that's later on down the line um in some different in some comic book stuff uh (laughs) Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, well, you know, one thing we haven't really talked about is Chris Hemsworth's timing, which I think, <laughs> you, you know, like it's 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 razor sharp. And I, I, I love I love that he like they do things where it's not just that he's like lovable doofus. He's also like constantly manipulating everyone around him, but like is, is kind of lovable at doing like, like when he says to Hulk, you're my, yeah, but you're my favorite one. And then he, and then he like meets Bruce Banner and goes, yeah, but you're my favorite yeah, one. And yeah. like, you know, Bruce is like, oh, it's, it, I'm not strong. You know, like I'm intelligent. Is, isn't that bitter? And he's like, and like, he just kind of turns around, is it though? Yeah. Is it though? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that stuff is, that stuff works so well because it feels true to character for me. Yeah. It, well, I don't know if it feels true to character. I just know that this guy has impeccable time. Yeah. Yes, but those are values too. And you're, I'm not taking this away from Chris Hemsworth. I'm just saying the, the idea that Thor, that this version of Thor not only is sort of a little bit manipulative and kind of a bit of a dick, which yeah. would make sense if you were a God. Yeah. Uh, but he also just, uh, he, he values strength over intelligence. Like yeah. that's what he does. Small arms. Is that what he's called? Like yeah. tiny arms yeah, or something yeah. like that. Um, I, I, Ruffalo does a great job too. Yeah. Ruffalo does great. I, you know, I like, I, I, there's little details that I love. Like when Tessa is coming into the room and Thor's trying to look tough and he puts his arm on the shelf and he kind of misses it. And he's like yeah. trying to readjust, yeah. you know, like, um, there's a scene, um, uh, earlier, you know, like when he's screaming at Stan Lee about to, about to cut his yeah. hair or something yeah. like that. It was like, it's just it's it's really good stuff like that that I think you know like it's just it's a really smart 
reconfiguration of who we saw as Thor from, you know, even to the point where it was like, um, what was that line where they're talking about? Like, uh, where they're talking about Natalie Portman's character. And he goes, no, I didn't dump her. She dumped me. It was just a, you know, mutually. No, she didn't dump me. I dumped her. It was a mutual dump. It was yeah. a mutual dumping. Yeah. You know, like that this, this sense that behind all this muscle behind all this, like good looks, there's this kind of lovable, slightly insecure doof. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, again, I just kind of was like, I, you know, I can kind of watch that. I can, yeah. I can, I can work with that. You yeah. know, like, and I think it's a different, it's a different level. Like, like Tony Stark plays all ego and his yep. ego is funny. Yes. But this is like, he plays as, you know, it, he plays against what he looks like, you know, like, and I think that really kind yeah. of like no, works for the character. And I think they do that with the Hulk as well. Um, so it was just, this is my favorite iteration I've seen of the Hulk. I will say that I still don't think that he would work in a standalone film. I, I'm not looking forward to it if they ever do that. Um, but I think because he just works so well against other characters. He's such a great thing because if you put Hulk and Cap together, it'd be a completely different dynamic. If you put Hulk and Tony Stark together or Spider-Man, like it's yeah. just it, I think I liked him most in the Avengers. He's the best spice for these other characters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love that they've kind of figured that out. And apparently Hulk's arc will take place across three movies they're like drizzling him in i'm still not quite clear how he got to sakar wasn't it he was on that he was on the quinjet but the quinjet doesn't go to space like that's Uh. the i don't know so i'm sure there's an answer um the only other thing uh carl urban uh seemed a bit perfunctory a scourge um i like i like i liked him yeah i like i loved his first scene with the shake weights and the the two guns dis dis and destroy yeah but he (laughs) but he felt super perfunctory just like he existed because hella needed someone to banter with yeah Uh, yeah well because because so Kate blanchett in general kind of gets side i but i think you know like i loved her I think she's, she's chewing scenery. She's loving yeah, yeah, You know, I love like, uh, like she has little side quips, like you're welcome by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, like she gets basically the, the Marvel villain treatment, which is that, you know, like we just need someone to punch up against this guy. I, I think if you're looking for the serious, you know, well, or for the feels film that you're talking about, it's really a film between Hela and Valkyrie. You know, like that's, that's where that would that's be. Where, that's where this film, yeah. if you want that, that's what it's yeah. about. Or you could play it up with Thor too, with the whole brother, sister, sister, you know, exiled sort of nonsense thing too. Yeah. It all depends on where you want to go. The the thing about Hela that I really liked was it's very easy to play the goddess of death with like a ton of resurrection powers. And that's something I don't give a shit about. Like yeah. she does have that army of the dead, but she needed the flame from Odin's armory to actually make that happen. Uh, this, uh, I liked the fact that she was the goddess of death in the sense that she could just kill everything incredibly easy. Right. Like just daggers, daggers yeah. for days. There was, she shot a dagger out of the ground into a spaceship. And right. I was like, all right, what's cool about that. And, and okay. So now let's talk a little bit about, um, I like your revisionist history angle too, by the way. I know, I don't know if I said that or not, but the thing when like she goes into the throne room and like, you see the happy go lucky, like yeah. Odin and Thor and Lucky, I, I think that she breaks that. She's like, no, look asshole. We did this. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I think again in that, in that, in the, the sort of cultural space we're living in, I think that's with a worthy yeah. appropriate topic. Now, whether that came up before the Weinstein world and it just happens to resonate in an interesting I way. I think it I resonates, but it's also, I like that it's an undertone. Yeah. Um, the thing, you know, let's talk a little bit about, um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming. And I want to talk a little bit about the fact that the best scene in Spider-Man Homecoming is the scene with Peter Parker and Michael Keaton in the back of a car. Oh, disagree. Oh, what's your favorite scene in that movie? Uh, I would say uh, probably the scene when he's alone in the uh, in the base 
in the in the base when he's like stuck in the warehouse. Okay. Uh, the reason the reason the scene with Michael Keaton mm. it's cool, yeah. But the second you actually think about it, it makes zero sense, right? I guess what I'm saying because is because he has it's, super strength. He could grab the gun in an instant. He could he could hit his throat and make it so he couldn't talk. He could drag him to the police and then get back to the dance. You know within who you 20 remind minutes. me of when you talk like this mm. is comic book guy from The Simpsons. But it's really, true. He really just. But that's, that's not. That's but that's weird. not even a thing. Now, yes, there there's a moment like. There's the tension is interesting because yeah. of a of a of a narrative perspective, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't make sense. Okay, and I like things to make sense. Uh, okay, okay. If that's what works for you, that's what works for you. Yeah. I think for me that that is the most interesting scene in the film because it's about the two characters who are the who are coming to a head in terms of what they want, uh, and and they're in direct opposites of each other. Yeah. that is the point at which where there is no negotiation beyond this point. Right, but it, it just makes zero sense how they resolve it. He waits for him to go get his giant robot suit, and then they go punch each other because that's what has to happen. That's my other point: is that these films tend to uh, equate action as a resolution of that conflict. But unfortunately, in most cases, like I find the the final fight in Spider-Man Homecoming, again, I'm neither here nor there about it. It happens. I see it, you know, and it's just, it's a bunch of, you know, it's a lot of like, punching CGI kind of stuff. I like it at the end of it because the ultimate downfall of the vulture is not Spider-Man. It's his greed that sort of takes him down. And I find that like, I like that angle of it. It's it actually doesn't come down to a punch fest. It comes down to, Oh no, he need thinks he needs this to save his family or whatever. And he can't do it. And he almost dies. And Peter heroically sort of drags him, but they the have fire. a punch face on a plane. It's for uh, like- Ten minutes, right? Uh, no, the pl- it doesn't actually happen on the plane. They, when it crashes, and then they have like maybe like a forty, maybe a thirty second punch fest on the beach. But there's a big CGI sequence. But they on don't. A plane. But they don't beat it. It's not. It's not a slugfest. It's not like the other movies. It's I, not. Did we, did we watch the same movie. They here? Do, no, things bad things happen on the plane. There's a little bit of zipping around. It's not like an action. Like if you if you look at the level of hits, like a slugfest to me honestly is like the, that Hulk movie. That's kind of still part of the MCU between him and abomination in Harlem. Like that's boring as fuck. I guess what I mean is like an action sequence is supposed to be the resolution climax. And I, and I, and the resolution climax in Spider-Man is actually when he decides to save, save uh, tombs from the fire. That's the resolution of it. And I like it just like Dr. Strange. I love, yeah, there's a bunch of actiony bullshit beforehand, but the resolution is him tricking Dormammu and not getting into a slugfest with a fucking space deity. Right. I guess my point here is that, is that, you know, like when it comes down to the action, I find that they, in most of these cases, they, they tend to feel like they're just kind of like, okay, we've kind of gotten through the tension stuff. Now we're going to just slug it out in some way and have a sequence here where like, cause we need Often an action. They do. I just don't think those are the best examples of, I guess, what you're saying i'm yeah. just saying th- yeah right yeah. And, and like to me you know the best the most intense sequences are when it's peter parker and michael keaton in the back of a car and they're talking to each other and they're having a conversation that's that's where that tension is most vital for me and most interesting and what i i actually liked about this film is that I felt like the, the, you know, in the, in the typical way the the, the fight sequence, you know, like when Hella destroys the entire soldiers, the army at, yep. uh, you know, in, in Asgard, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. She did that. But you know, like, and it's a little sequence, but it's, it's kind of like that thing, which is that it's just kind of glossed over quickly and we move on from it really mm-hmm. quickly. And I like that at the end of, um, of this, there's this realization that Thor just doesn't need to fight her, that he just needs to like move out of the way. And I think, 
that that I yeah. I appreciated that, nice. that that was a kind of like that we don't need to see Hella and Thor kind of punch it out and have like a big slugfest. It's just I just need to get out of the way of this. Another thing I really enjoy, I feel like this movie better uh, Zack Snyder's action sequences than Zack Snyder does at this point because there's two or three moments of like really cool slow-mo looks like a painting moment. The moment when they're talking about Valkyrie and I, you know, the thing I was remembering well, about there's Valkyrie's <laughs> dream vision. Yeah. There's the scene when Thor's coming down with the lightning behind him and the army of the dead's piling up and there's a couple others. Like if you're going to show me an action sequence that we know doesn't really matter. Yeah. Paint make it, it is, beautiful. And make it not only cool. Yes, that's the word I was going to use is beautiful. Make it beautiful because that stick those images stick with me even though the the battles are not really of consequence for me and they yeah. don't feel the weight but like when you make it like a fucking painting like it that's where that that's where you can get uh gravitas for these sort of throwaway punch fests i think the only problem there is you can go too far with that and that's what Zack snyder does oh like yes if you 100%. think about, you, if you think about like saying. his but, his fight but, but it's, it's, like, it's, it's showing restraint taika is a master of knowing what when to do what i yeah. think and i i really appreciate that those were there and that they also were not overused uh even to the point it's not the same level of slow-mo but when thor and the hulk are leaping at each other like that's a painting in itself of yeah. just like in the arena so um but but you know to, to that point as well i would say the fight between thor and hulk kind of did bore me but when hulk and thor were kind of like quipping on a bid about like yeah. what they wanted yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's way better. more that's yep. way more interesting and a way more interesting way to have these two characters i 100% agree on both levels on the level that you're presenting and also my whole like it still makes sense for the story level yeah, yeah. um Wow, we've been going for a bit. Guys and gals and everybody, uh, this has been the only podcast about the film Thor Ragnarok. We didn't do our classic sort of like, oh, should you see it? Hey, Shahir, should people see this movie? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I agree. Yeah. Go spend your money. Go see it in some IMAX 2D or some RDX. Yeah. Uh, I, by the way, I had to see it in RDX because the, the 2D session was sold out. I didn't realize that RDX is like 20 bucks. Yeah. I like what well, it looks good, but it, but it's like, it's weird. It's like a behind the scenes thing. It's like, it's like saying, I want you to pay more for HD distribution, which is like, this should be the oh, standard. I agree. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, do movie pass and then check in to go see something else. And, yeah, and yeah. then yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, don't do that. That's illegal. Yeah. Um, is it actually, illegal? it's not illegal. Well, yeah. It's frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, Shahir, when you are not being the New Zealand God of thunder, where can <laughs> folks find you? You can feel me raging with lightning bolts on my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D.com, which has links to my Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff stuff, which you don't need to see. Um, <laughs> why would you? Why would you? You always but say Matt, that. Maybe they want to see it. Nah, I don't think they do. Matt, if you, when you are not uh, slightly disturbed or slightly hurt by the lack of feels in a movie, where can people find you weeping about you it? Can, you can pick up my bucket of tears at MatthewKroll.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Uh, next week, we'll be back with the Florida Project uh, yeah. with special guest Annie Gillies, uh, producer, executive producer extraordinaire. Uh, and, and someone who we might have begrudged, belittled, and maybe... I don't think we did any I of those I don't think we things. did, but I think she feels that she way. She does. Yeah. 
yeah, so about we're, we're getting her. There was a thing uh, for what what movie was it? Was it? Mother? Was and, Mother? And she wrote, she wrote, in, wrote in a thing. And we needed I wanted, a contrarian. Yeah, we wanted. No, she's not a contrarian. No, 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 we, we, we needed want, an. Ent- we, needed, we needed someone who wasn't us, just Jizanova last movie, right? And and Annie like decided to like fall on her sword and be that person. So I appreciate that. Annie's Annie. the best. Can't wait for you guys to hear that episode. Uh, and yeah, we will see you then. You have to take me to New Zealand sometimes. Uh, I would you love never, to take you to New Zealand. You never, you never take. Well, me to I should nice go to New places. Hampshire at some point as well. Uh, mine will be a little closer. Yeah. Uh, but when, yeah, we'll do it. We'll we go straight do, from there. That's what we should do. Our erotic fan fiction is like home tours of our home. Oh town. yeah. See, look, we're giving you ideas so you can at least give us five stars. Only movie podcast at gmail.com. Twitter at only movie pod for your erotic <laughs> Matt and no. Shahir fan fiction. Only iTunes reviews for erotic fan fiction. I don't want it anywhere else. Oh, God. That's the most erotic. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.